Welcome to Sword and Shield, the official podcast of the 960th Cyberspace Wing. Join us for insight, knowledge, mentorship, and some fun as we discuss relevant topics in and around our wing. Please understand that the views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the U.S. Air Force nor the Air Force Reserve, and no endorsement of any particular person or business is ever intended. Welcome to Sword and Shield Podcast. I'm Colonel Rick Erich, and today I have a very special guest, the 10th Air Force Commander, Major General Brian Radliff. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Rick. Thanks for joining us. It's, oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Fantastic team, great operation. Yeah, it's really going to be fun here to kind of talk about you and introduce you to the organization. We've had a good couple of days, I think, and we've we've kind of hit you with a lot of information for sure. It's been overwhelming. I'll just be honest with you. There's so much that your organization and your airmen are doing. It's really kind of hard for me to take it all in. This has been a nice introduction. I need a little bit of time to go <laughs> home and study and make sure I understand everything that you guys are doing on the cyber Yes, sir. You know, we wish we had time, certainly, to give you everything in the depth that, that you want, you need. So we try to hit the highlights. And certainly this maybe is an opportunity for you to share maybe your leadership philosophy and introduce kind of a little bit about yourself and how you think. And and so you've been in the seat about a month. And so any initial observations from taking over there and from the breadth and scope of the responsibility of being an AF commander? Yeah, it's overwhelming. I'll be honest with you. I've been in 10th Air Force for a long time. I was the vice about five or six years ago as a traditional reservist. And now sitting in the, the commander seat, it just amazes me how broad and how diverse 10th Air Force is. And that's one of the things that's uh, when I say it's been overwhelming is because there's so much diversity in the mission. Uh, there's so much diversity in the manpower. People doing different AFSCs, uh, AFSCs I've never heard of, quite honestly, yeah. until, I, until I started doing deep dives into the organization, which is why you know we've uh, decided uh, with Chief Malcolm uh, and I've decided to spend three days down here just immersing ourselves in in your your world and what your team's doing. So uh, I say it's been a bit overwhelming, but it's, uh, the whole point, I guess, is it's, it's humbling as well because we see the great work that airmen are doing. And quite honestly, with your team, it's a lot of great work that a lot of people don't know is being done. And I think that's the other part that, I, that I've that uh, i found in the in the month that I've been here is you know, my job is to advocate for the people whose missions we don't often talk about. Yes, and sir. I think that's just been one of the very inspiring things I've seen in the month is that there's so much mission that, that really needs advocacy. Yes, sir. And just, you know, you just got little snippets of what we're doing. Certainly, um, everything's not always rainbows and unicorns like I tell people too. So I appreciate you really asking the tough questions of us about how you can help and what the challenges are there. That's really helpful to me knowing, you know, my boss is interested in the business and, and where we're going in the future too. And certainly things in our business are changing all the time. Yeah. I'm not only interested, I'm invested. Uh, I think we've got to get uh, the staff moving uh, you've often heard the terms, the speed of relevance, to make sure that they are responding to the ever-changing landscape. Uh, things change so much. Uh, we've heard our chief of staff, General Brown, talk about you know accelerating change. And then he's got his action orders that people have yes. to follow. And you, as you go through the action orders and you try to apply them, we have to just make sure that as the staff, we're, we're going through those action orders to get the impediments out of your way to allow your organization to change to be relevant, not only today, but tomorrow as well. Yeah, it's, I think it's a exciting time. When I talk to people about, uh, sometimes they get in the grind and they kind of feel beat down. Like, no, we're at a great time in this business. There's so much going on. There's so much change. We have so many leaders in, in, in around that are influencing the business that I think we can really chart the course for the future that's really going to make us relevant and being compelling missions to make sure, you know, our traditionals want to be part of cyber and uh, IW for the future. 
Yeah, it's interesting you, you said the word a lot of our folks feel feel beat down. I, I hope that's because they're working hard. I hope it because they like a, a good day at the gym or they just they come home and they're worn out because they had a great day and they had a lot of impact, not because they feel marginalized or otherwise unvalued or, or underworked. So I, I doubt that that resonates with any of your people that they're undervalued or underworked. But but uh, sometimes in in the missions that we don't often talk about or the, or the, the majority of the Air Force uh, is not well educated or well versed on. I can see that how some folks could feel marginalized. And I want to make sure that folks know that that's not the case, that uh, there is no marginalization. Everybody's extremely valued. The senior leaders like myself, Chief Malcolm, we just have to get more immersed in your world and better understand what it is that your airmen need and what they're going through. Yeah, poor choice of words on my part. Certainly the folks, I, I think that the mission we talked about, the things we do, we can't often talk about right. in a lot of the mission sets. And sometimes that wears just on uh, and mm-hmm. being able to tell a story. Sure. So so I, I was looking through your bio here and I noticed you joined the Air Force Reserve in 2003, same year I did as well. And so tell us a little bit about that story and um, how you came to, you know, you had some Air National Guard time and REGAF time and now it's time to transition and what, what your thoughts were. Um, yeah, 2003 was obviously a very good year. Very good year. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I really don't like talking a whole lot about myself. I'd rather talk about airmen and mission, <laughs> but uh, as a way to introduce the things that aren't in the bio, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go for it. I did uh, 10 years on active duty, decided for family reasons, just like many of us do in the reserve. It was time to get out. I had a son in, in middle school going into high school and wanted some um, consistency and control over where the future went. We had a great location. I was... Uh, flying F-15s down at Eglin. It was the job of my dreams. was able to separate from active duty and go to Tyndall and fly the F-15 as an, as an instructor. Uh, well, I, I did that part-time while I also worked for Boeing uh, as a sim instructor back at Eglin and, you know, uh, uh, as a contract sim instructor for my my old unit. I did that for about three years. Uh, I was I was at, uh, at home uh, on September 11th and then, you know, everybody was recalled. We ended up going back to Tyndall. Not much of us, not much for us to do since it was a, a, a training unit. That kicked off a whole series of events. And over the next couple of years, continued flying that mission uh, at Tyndall and working as an instructor at Boeing. And then the job in 2003 opened up as they started a program called the Fighter Associate Program. And what that program was uh, in response to is the shortage of experienced pilots at the, the combat fighter units. So I came back as a reservist to try to balance out some of the experience and uh that was 2003, and I stayed at Eglin until end of 2007, early 2008, as um, the uh, F-15s were going away. They were bringing on the F-35, and like any other reservist, when your mission goes away, you, you got to go find a job. Yes, so I, I did, but that was uh, that was the only thing that was going to get me out of the beautiful Emerald Coast. Yeah, that's awesome. We're really happy to have you as part of the team, and it's always, um, always bittersweet, right? You, you're comfortable with the boss, and then all of a sudden, somebody new comes in, you get excited again and motivated, and the opportunity to, you know, for me, show you the wing and, and represent what cyber is all about, especially in our business, too. We are, um, we're, the, we're the only cyber wing, and so you have the only cyber wing, only intel wing, only space wing, the reserve command. So we're excited for you to be that champion for us as well, and there's tons of challenges in the future, and, um, and, and certainly, I think funding, budget, NDS, what 16th Air Force needs of us. And I think those are all things that I think about kind of all the time. And then we talked earlier about travel vouchers, pay, paying our airmen, take care of our airmen, making sure they have what they need from services and opportunities too. So what kind of challenges um, really are you focusing on or do you see, you know, that, that you want us to tackle and any kind of priorities going forward? 
Fantastic question. A lot of breadth of questions <laughs> in there. I may ask you to double back on one or sure. two of them. I, I will tell you the the priorities. My, my priorities are my boss's priorities, and I and I hope that you know your priorities are mine. And, and yes, sir, because we all have to have the same message. There's there's uh, I think Chief uh, Chief of Staff Brown talks about there's there's one message, but there's many messengers, so that we're all saying the same thing, and that's an important for an organization like ours that we that we have to be in lockstep with our boss and uh, both up and down the chain of command. So I think one of my priorities, and I, I'm in the process of developing my what I call special interest items that I'll send out to the wings. It kind of tells you where my focus areas are over the next you know few months, and we'll update them quarterly, semi-annual, how it turns out. But one of the things I'm really focused on is protecting airmen from all these things that you just brought up, <laughs> all the challenges, right? The budgets, the travel vouchers. You know, I I want to make sure that we're doing everything we can so that they don't have the problems. And if there are problems and they're brought up and people are listening to this podcast, I want them to know that we are diligently working on the problems. And I'll give you a perfect example. Travel vouchers. Yes, sir. We championed a project through the Air Reserve Forces Policy Committee, which I'm the vice chairman for. It was about addressing travel vouchers. So we said, my gosh, this is this is a big problem. We heard from a lot of folks that that uh, there are you know, tens of thousands of dollars in some cases of outstanding payment that people have to make. And we looked at the process. So we, we took this and we said, let's let's study a little bit. Well, we were able to link up with a program called Kessel Run, which ironically has a whole bunch of reservists and guardsmen as part-timers. We presented this program to them, told them what we were looking for. And they said, we're, we are all over it. We know exactly what you're talking about. We also are victims of this <laughs> sure. process. So we said, we want everything on... Um, on a portable device. I want to be with my iPhone or my Samsung or whatever phone kind of phone I have. I want to be able to do this on my mobile device. So they're working on it right now. Those are some of the things that we're trying to get after to make airmen's lives better. So anything that you can do with a CAC enabled computer, we want through multi-factor authentication and all the other uh, pieces in, in your world, quite honestly, yes, what we can do to maximize access for our airmen, but minimize risk to our networks. So we're, we're working on several of those issues. So I want to be the blocking and tackling person so that our airmen can go and run the ball. Yeah, that's excellent. You know, we hear a lot about when they come in on the UTAs, they just want to be able to focus on you right. know, getting their training done and doing any um, operational tasks and not be weighed down by all these administrative tasks. So um, there's been a lot of stuff going on. General Scobie and Chief White have really championed a lot of, you know, first sergeants for people, putting chaplains in units, um, focusing on getting resources down to the units. It's great to hear about the travel because That's something, frankly, we've been really struggling with based on our geographically separated units and the number of mission partners we have. And I know that's a challenge for you as well. So my challenge of having 10 GSUs and, and 1300 person wing is mag, you know, multiplied 17 times for you. So I'm interested and I'm watching how you approach all your, you know, all your organization's wings and how you lead and those things that I can pick up that I can, that I can do as well. So I don't know how you're going to tackle getting out to see everybody because I have a lot of anxiety myself about, I'll probably never see every airman. In my right. during my command tour, and right. and I have to just deal with that and find ways to connect with them. Uh, what's your approach, and kind of what's your what's your plan that you want to? Certainly, I do want to meet every airman, but just realistically, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I think what you can do is the time that you do have with the airmen you can meet is you have to maximize that value. Uh, if you spend all your time thinking about the things you're not doing, <laughs> you'll miss the value of the things that you are. And I think the airmen can can recognize that you may not get to shake every airman's hand. 
But the airmen that you do shake, they are going to go talk to those other airmen. And they're going to say, I had a chance to meet my boss and I had a chance to meet my boss's boss. And then we've got to be able to have that positive impact with those airmen. And I, you know, I'm a little concerned that if I try to sprint to go see every location and every airman, I'll do it poorly. And I fully expect to fail in my mission because it's a, it's a mission that I've set a very high goal to go visit every unit in the first year. I don't know that that's going to be possible, but that's what, that's what we're going to try for. I won't be disappointed if I don't make it because I know it's a difficult goal. But what that'll do is that'll mo- motivate me to get after next year's travel plan as well. And then figure out where we need to go to pick up to not only reinforce to our airmen, to the leaders like you, that our appreciation for the work that's being done, but also to recognize the great work that, again, airmen often don't get to tell their story. My job is to be able to tell their story. We've got a lot of great folks out there. And I want to just be able to brag on your people, on my people and all the other folks who may be listening. Yes, sir. So that's a great opportunity for us to get those people in front of you. And, and we really certainly need, need to do a better job always of telling our story. And then I think having an advocate like that for you and, and, and Chief Malcolm to be able to do that, we need to feed that to you. We need to do a better job of that and making sure folks are uh, that we're recognizing the right people for the right reasons at the right time, too. It's got to be timely recognition as well. And so um, we just had our UEI. And so, you know, I tell people this wing is like a toddler, like two and a half years old. Sometimes we act like we're 20. The toddler is 20. Sometimes we act like a toddler. And we got to find what that maturity and that level set is for us to continue to grow and mature on a nice, smooth path. And we want to accelerate some areas and other areas we want to, you know, take a more measured approach to. And then I know relationships is, is a huge part of that. And so certainly you've got a number of relationships. You've done some relationship building here already with some of our senior leaders. And so what kind of things do you think that you're hearing about or that we need to focus on from a relationship perspective to continue to grow and mature as an organization? I am very glad you asked that question, to be honest with you. So to me, relationships start with your command team. And I have no better partner than, than Chief Jeremy Malcolm. And, and I want to make sure that when when we go traveling to our various places, that our airmen see that we are a combined leadership team that our subordinate commanders see we are a combined leadership team. And that sets the expectation that you are a combined leadership team. And even down to your superintendents at the group and squadron level, that is the combined leadership team. How do you bring your first sergeants into it? And then how do you build around that? So I think those relationships matter. And once we have our home taken care of and we've got that good, cohesive team at home, then I think we can we can go out and articulate that message. So as I go to my compadres out uh, at the various NAFs centers and locations where we are integrated in our operations, I just very clearly tell them, listen, I, I know my, my place. My place is to provide combat rating resilient airmen to whatever mission set that that, that uh, person is leading. It's about supported and supporting relationships. And I think sometimes we get involved in ourselves and, you know, our own hubris maybe get in, gets in our way and sure. we think we should be large and in charge. And I think sometimes we just need to back off and understand when we are the supported commander, we want everybody supporting us. And when we are the supported or supporting unit, we need to know our place in that as well. So uh, I, I try to start with that when I take the message on the road and say, listen, we're here to support your mission. What can we do to make it better? We're all on the same team. Yes, sir. I really appreciate that. You've hit some of our mission partners already this week. That's really helpful for us so I can go in and when I need help. And certainly we need to repay that as well and be good mission partners and good stewards of our resources. And so speaking of resources, any outlook or anything behind the magic eight ball about what next year looks like? And if it's going to be bad and rough from a, you know, from a financial perspective, I think that's fine. We just need to communicate and understand that we make smart decisions based on what resources and that we're focused on spending money 
um, for readiness training and making sure we're ready for um, when that surge is needed from us. So what I won't answer, Rick, on this uh, on this <laughs> podcast is what the budget's going to look like because that's you know that's getting out in front of because uh, Congress is going through the, de- the debates right now. Our military leadership has already presented uh, their inputs to the twenty two budget. Congress is is uh, doing what they're uh, by law required to do. We'll know what the budget is and then what we're going to have appropriated for our expenditures for next year. What I would like to focus on is it doesn't matter how much money we get. My focus is on being responsible with what we're given. We're all taxpayers. Every airplane, every computer system, every network, everything that we do is the property of the United States government that is given to us and trusted to us by the taxpayer. So we have to be responsible with our resources. You know, as a commander, one of the things that you're graded on is managing your resources. And we need to make sure that we are all holding each other accountable through whether it's our um, our civilian and military personnel accounts, whether it's our operations, maintenance accounts, weapons, sustainment, all the various commodities that we have out there that we're given budgets, just like we are at home, and that we are spending appropriately and accordingly. Uh, sometimes we will often lament that our government just spends money like crazy. Well, uh, what I would offer to people is uh, we can worry less about what the budgets are going to look like in the future as long as we're responsible with the resources we're given today. Yeah, that's, that's a great approach. And then certainly... You know, in our business, it's a lot about people and about get training opportunities and, and making sure that um, we're allocating the money where we need to to get people through classes and on time and on target for when the REGAF and our mission partners need us, mm-hmm. certainly. And so we can always do better at that. And we need to continue to um, up, up channel those issues when we need more slots or there's there's a pressing issue in a mission set. And we've already made decision, resource decisions based on what missions are most important and when people are going in the bucket and when people are deploying and kind of getting in a cycle, maturing that from a wing that's kind of just cobbled together all these missions. And, and certainly we're growing through that process ourselves as well. Yeah, the great thing about uh, serving as a reservist is sometimes you can pick the timing and tempo of when you're available, short of mobilization. So if you've got the training allocations, well, one of the things that, that vexes us quite often is we may have a training allocation, but it doesn't meet up with an airman's personal schedule, uh, life experiences, life timing, whatever, and they may need to move it. Well, every every time we bring that flexibility into a system that is you know sufficiently inflexible, it creates some perturbations that sometimes it's difficult to recover. We want to maintain that flexibility for the airman. Sometimes the system just doesn't allow it. And we, we have to do some uh, some callings and uh, ask for some forgiveness, some latitude, and maybe some some trading around because the, the, the active duty, they have their pipeline of people coming out of the schools and, and the same input processes we have. And uh, so it's just some of the risk we have to take as leaders to give that freedom and that flexibility to our airmen to make sure that what they're doing, uh, their ability to continue to serve or, or start serving for that matter, it matches up with what they need for their life at that time. Yeah, that's, I think, what's great. That's why I joined the reserve in 2003 is because, you know, I needed a change for my personal and family life and this reserve model fit. And then I went through my career and then made 06 and like, now we're ready for something else. And I can jump back into the full-time game and have that flexibility to meet my family needs and serve in a place where I think there's value and that, that I have a passion for continuing to do that. Right. And what we found in the reserve specifically is the ability to do those career interruptions, if you will, for a military career to start a civilian career or a family or, or, or build a business or get an education. And it allows us, again, that inherent flexibility to not only serve our families uh, in our future, but also serve our nation. And I, I just I think that that appeals to a lot of people that you don't really miss out on a lot if you 
you know, serve a little bit of time on in full-time status, come back into part-time and, and just, you can continue to move to the different parts of the country whenever you want to Uh, job comes open, you can apply for it and you can do whatever you and your family want to do at that time. Some, you know, some people see that as almost an anathema to service. I I think of it as just the opposite way. I think it is the ultimate service when, when you, uh, as the nation was founded on the citizen soldier back in the uh, colonial days, that we can take up arms whenever we need to, but we can also go back and run our businesses or our farms or, or whatever we're doing for our life. And, and I think that allows us really, in particular on the reserve component side, to find places where diversity is is embraced not, um, and, and, and accepted. So you have folks that they just want to go do something different once they're like, they want to get off the, the active duty train. Well, you know, congratulations. Thank you for serving. You can do that. Uh, we've got a place for you in the reserve. And I just I just think that flexibility, the inherent flexibility is really what what makes this a great place to work. Yes, sir. And that's truly, I think, the Air Force and certainly some other services have some of the same nuances. But if you want to serve full time, there's opportunities to do that, you know, regular force and with us. There's part time, there's part time opportunities. And if you really just want to live in your community and never, ever move like you can do that with the guard. And I think when people talk about opportunities, as long as we give them all the information to help them make a good decision. And certainly we want people to serve in any capacity and certainly we'd rather have them serve with us. But it's really helpful, I think, to have to be able to speak to all the opportunities we have here. And and certainly in our wing, we're kind of spread around the country. So we try to move people and give people opportunities, have them go work in comm squadrons, other places, headquarters. And they can really get a really diverse background and making sure that um, we're growing the leaders we need for the future and who the next Rick is and who the next 10th Air Force Commander, maybe not the next one, but the next, you know, they're out there somewhere. Down the Your line. replacement, my replacement's out there somewhere. And so I want them to be better than me, certainly. And and how we do that is uh, really been exciting as we implement a lot of new policies and programs to support those things and development opportunities. And somebody like yourself being available and talking to them and shaking hands, it, it's um, it changed people's lives at times. And maybe it's just that one thing they needed to stick around and inspire them to do something else. Yeah, and that diversity you're talking about as far as moving and geographic and experience and different uh, different organizations, we don't need everybody to do that, right? We want people to feel comfortable where they are. We want them to feel comfortable if it's time to go and, and, and do something else. You'll hear General Scobie often talk about we, we only need to develop 5% of our population to be the future senior officer or senior, uh, senior enlisted leaders. So we don't want people to feel like they have to move around, right? It's sure. just, and it's if, if it's, you want to get on the leadership track, here's how you do it. If you want to stay home and, and serve in San Antonio or, or uh, Robin, Warner Robins, Georgia, or off at where, wherever you want to serve, you can do that and you can have a great career doing it. We want you to do that. In fact, we need you to do that because we talk about that experience. And sometimes if we move people around too much, then we may be taking away from that experience uh, specifically as a, as a very skilled craftsman or, or craftsperson. Yeah. So the opportunity is there if people choose to do Absolutely. that. And I think there's, there's that balance between developing the right people and making people just move around and, and, and having some technical SMEs. You heard from some of the units this week that we bring that value to the, the mission partner because we've got continuity. And I think that's that's really important to us. So, so I'm going to leave you with the last word here, sir. Any leadership philosophies or thoughts or any guidance that you want to provide to the wing or certainly anybody listening? Let me start out just by saying thanks for the chance to come down and shake a couple of hands and get a peek into what uh, your your team is doing right now. The last time I was here, it was still a group. Uh, now to see it grow into a wing and see all the different uh, shields and emblems <laughs> on the wall, growth has been good to your organization. 
Um, but it doesn't come without consequences, right? A lot of churn, a lot of upheaval, a lot of uncertainties about what the future holds. And I think that, uh, you know, as, as much as I, I thank you for the work that you're doing, and uh, I also thank the airmen for being successful enough to continue to grow. Because if this organization wasn't successful, it would not have grown. It would have been scuttled. So I think the growth is a testament to the great work that the airmen are doing. Thanks for that. Thanks to your team. To some of the philosophies, I, you know, I, I, I struggle with this a lot because, I, you know, how do you say a couple of things that, that really hit the point? I, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a, a George S. Patton and come up with these great quotes or, you know, something to, from the, out of Einstein's books. But, you know, I, I, I like the maxims of just a good leader is somebody who gives direction and gets out of the way because I've, I've been a wing commander. I don't need to do your job again. You've been a squadron commander. You don't need to do their job again. So, yes, so we give direction. We give guidance. And then we let our subordinate commanders and then quite honestly, the youth and exuberance of our airmen <laughs> and our and our junior officers to go out and do the mission. And, and that guidance that we give them uh, should be enough to allow them to execute within the left, right limits that we've set. Uh, and that's all we really ask them to do. So quite honestly, that's that's my leadership philosophy is to give direction and get out of the way. I think the guidance and direction must be clear and unambiguous sure. as well. That's the other part is to leave nothing uh, to be to be questioned, but not so prescriptive that it that it limits their ability to be thoughtful and deliberate and and innovative for that matter. The other part is is I, I firmly believe in accountability. We have tremendous responsibility given to us uh, for those who wear the cloth of the nation, whether it's in the uniform service or our civilian uh, folks who serve with us. And I think that accountability is is something that often gets overlooked. And we as commanders, we must hold each other responsible and accountable, but we also have to hold our airmen accountable, responsible. But we set the example. And when there are folks in our organizations who decide that, that they no longer want to serve within the bounds of which uh, we we have established and they knew that when they joined, then I think we have to make sure that the, the standard is upheld and that folks are held accountable. That accountability to me is the good order and discipline. But we also have to be uh, judicious with it. We have to make sure that we're being purposeful and we're not malicious. And I think those are those are probably my my two biggest things is is give direction, get out of the way, and then make sure we're holding each other accountable. Because any any action that happens that reflects poorly upon our organization or our Air Force resonates in the community, and we don't want to be those people. So uh, I would encourage your uh, your team to make sure that you're upholding that standard that you're holding one another accountable and that you're setting clear and, and unambiguous guidance for your airmen. Yeah. So. That, yeah, sir. That's excellent. No problem getting behind that. And, and certainly that that's, that's something that, that we're proud to do is wearing the uniform and we should be, we should be taking care of that every day. And whether, you know, whether anybody's watching or not, you know, to have the integrity to continue to, to be good partners yeah. and, yeah, that, that's right. You know, and there, there's a, the, a speech I heard from a squadron commander years ago says there's a difference between mistakes and crimes. Mistakes are trainable, crimes are punishable, and and everybody really knows the difference. It's not a one mistake Air Force. I'm not a one mistake commander. I've made plenty of mistakes, but those mistakes have to be trainable, and we have to make sure that we can train to standard where we want that airman to be and allow them to recover. Crimes are what they are, and we have no tolerate tolerance for anybody who commits crimes. Those are punishable, and and we will act swiftly. Yes, sir. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate your time. Certainly here all week, and I know it's been a grind, and we've we've thrown a lot of information at you, and, and certainly for your time here in the podcast and sharing a few minutes with Gladiator Nation. 
Thanks, Rick. And to your entire team of the 960th, it's been my pleasure and my privilege to come uh, visit the, the short time here. I look forward to getting out to the, the rest of the organizations along with Chief Malcolm and, and seeing what all your airmen and all your locations are doing. And uh, just thanks to the great work. Uh, there is nothing better than to know that uh, when I pick up my phone or I look at my bank account online, that it is as protected as it possibly can be. <laughs> and we've got guardians out there that are protecting the grid each and every day and keeping our adversaries at bay. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. That's awesome. Thanks, sir. Thank you.